the OTV Sports app. Listen to OTV Sports Radio 24-7, plus all your favourite podcasts, including OTV Gold. Are you a complete rookie? The OTV Sports app, available to download now from your app store. Hey, welcome again, everybody, to this week's episode, which is number eight of the podcast, where we try and take a slightly deeper look at coaching and how we can all do it better. For the people that are joining us maybe today for the first time, this podcast is about two main things. Firstly, I wanted to try and provide coaches with some actionable information and thoughts that might help their own context of whatever sport or age group they may be operating in. And, and secondly, and probably most importantly, as a, I wanted to do this as a fundraiser for Temple Street Children's Hospital. So we're nudging our way towards 5,000 euros. And for those people that haven't donated already, if you're finding quality in that content, I, I, I'd really appreciate it if you could find a link in the podcast description below or on my twitter page at mike quirk and part with whatever couple of euros you could possibly spare because it's going to a very very worthy cause and obviously a big thank you to all those people who have donated to the fundraiser so far and and to all those people who continue to share it around on social media every time it gets shared more people get to listen the more people that listen the more people that are inclined to donate to temple street so it's uh, it's certainly much appreciated by everybody Okay, and that's enough for me. Um, this week's guest, I'm delighted to say, is Alan Ringland. He's a lecturer of sports psychology at the Munster Technological University, as well as being an accredited practitioner who has worked within professional and amateur sport for well over 20 years. For the past 14 of those years, he's been working as the team psychologist for Paralympics Ireland, working through a number of major sporting events with them. Here he talks us through his concerns for the impact of COVID and sports people missing out on the socialization aspect of of playing their games, his desire for coaches to seek out deliberate play as opposed to deliberate practice, and he breaks down different key factors for coaches working in participation sport as opposed to high performance or elite sport. There's some really great insights and actionable ideas on promoting connection and self-talk within your team and much more. I hope wherever you're listening that you enjoy the next hour or so. And if you do, be sure to share it around, leave a review and let me know what you think. Right, Alan, thanks. Thanks very much for your time again. I, I, like you, like we said there, you're, you're flat out from... Uh, lecturing through a screen all day so the last thing you probably wanted to hear of was a was another 45 or 60 minutes here doing the same thing so thanks very much for your time no problem at all yeah it's grand yeah you're right yeah it's been uh i'm literally just off for the group of third years but sure it's it's where we are and what we're doing so we just literally have to get on and keep on going yeah, crack on, find a way. And even and and you might just give people that are listening just a kind of a, a background of, of um where where you were coming from or what you're working at as such. Sure. Um okay, so ooh, way back in time, way back last century, uh, I I went uh, I went to study phys ed in uh, Bangor, North Wales. Um and after doing after getting a a published paper at my undergraduate, I went to University of Ulster, did a PhD, um, was coaching three or four sports at the time, um, tennis, hockey, and uh, badminton. Um, and then moved probably, then I moved back into London to go and teach PE. Um, after that, got accredited as a sports psychologist in the UK before moving to Tralee in 1997. <laughs> Well, January 1997, and uh, 
it was an interesting one, Mark. I, um, I think myself, and uh, which was Pat Flanagan and Val Andrews, had kids of the same age, and they all went down to Cairns rallies. And it was the three of us as parents on the sideline, um, having different coaching qualifications and various sports, and uh, looking at each other, going, "This is, you know, this, this is mad." You know, it's hundreds of kids, like hundreds of kids, but fantastic um, environment and fantastic. You know, at the end of it, they they got some goodies. You know, yeah. keep the nutritionists away, but they got <laughs> they got chocolate or they got fizzy drinks or they got Tito's or whatever. But sure, that's. You know, 50% went for that and they, and they kept on coming for that. And, you know, I'll be fair to them that it worked yeah. and we thought it was great. But uh, we, we sort of, we looked at the coaching end and we thought, you know, we probably could do a bit of, you know, whatever. But um, at that time, I think Ken's Rallies had uh, a sports coaching or development officer um, and they sort of, you know, they, they ran it. They ran it really well. And then we sort of drifted off. I moved up to... Uh, the art fart, so my coaching <laughs> moved there with it. Yeah. Um, I suppose then, I, uh, in terms of sports psychology, uh, the RS sort of system was pretty slow in developing in comparison across the water in the Olympic Association. So I was sort of part of that when we evolved to get a, with the National Coaching and Training Centre, now the RS Institute of Sport, um, a panel of um, facilitators who could really help in every sports science and, and discipline. So medicine, physiotherapy, biomechanics, psychology, physiology, nutrition, uh, etc. So I was started that and then um, got involved with um, Val and Pat again <laughs> in the in the uh, in which was great fun. Uh, interesting to see where I had been in Liverpool where I worked with Warrington Rugby League at a professional club on a contracted basis to where sort of amateur status was in the GAA and thought right, there wasn't a lot of difference right. in terms of you know status, the fact that the, the Rugby League got paid. Mm. And these were students as such, you know, in all fair. Now, probably had a, you know, as you know, probably had a good balance mm. uh, of... <laughs> lifestyle and activity, yeah. as well as football and a little bit of work. Um, so I've still been there. So I'm, I'm lecturing in sports psychology and physical education in the, now the Monster Technological University, but um, uh, Institute of Technology in Tralee. So that's where my email is still, but only for a few months. But uh, yeah, so I've been to God knows how many world or European championships with Paralympics. And with I went to Beijing with them, um, was team psychologist, and um, with London with them, um, and yeah, you know, still still do a little bit of underage coaching um, at individual level of different sports, um, and some with uh, you know both male and female. So with was Kerry Camogie a few years ago actually that that was a, 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 a another great experience because. Kerry Camogie is basically only one or two clubs. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. So, you know, and that's that's like, wow, that, that there's not a huge amount of differentiation between lots of clubs picking, selecting. It's like, there's your pillow players. Um, so I just went and did a bit of psychology with them and they were great and really good to work with and really, you know, uh, enjoyed that. So that's good, yeah. possibly yeah. where I am. 
Brilliant, yeah. And like like I was saying before we started there, I suppose like I, I've I've had um, your number your number eight on the auspicious list, but we've looked at like the game and and different kind of elements of of the you know the real coaching side of it and, and some of the priorities for for coaches and that side. And we had Joanne Joe Connor last week speaking about the kind of physical side of it. So I'm just delighted to have you on to kind of maybe look at that area of the you know the mental side of the game or that 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 psychological aspect of it. You know and and true. COVID, like we're like we're mentioning, like what, like from that point of view, Alan, like what are what are the big worries that you would have, or would you have any worries with, with regard to sports people now? The fact that you know a lot of people, I suppose, their identity is so wrapped up in the sports that they play, and for a lot of people, obviously not the elite, you know, elite section of the sporting world in Ireland, but the rest of us, I suppose, you know, that's been taken away by by the pandemic right now. Is there is there things that that you worry about, you know, on the other side of this thing for sports people? Oh, definitely. The, like the COVID has really done a number of things. Really, one is that the, the socialization. The, you know, the going out with your mates, whatever you're doing. You know, whether you're going to play golf, whether you're going to play a sport, team sport, whether you're going to meet up with, in a, you know, go and play, you know, handball or whatever, um, or soccer. You know, whatever. But all of that camaraderie is all stopped because of, you know we can't meet. You can't, you know. So I know a few clubs have got together in like the sort of Zoom type stuff, and yeah. they they organise themselves and they have a little bit of social chat, a bit of banter, and, and whatever. And and that's great because the idea is a bit of the cohesion. So that social element would worry me a lot because you're coming back in. People are probably doing their own little bit of physical stuff anyway. So that's yeah. that's I, I probably wouldn't have a huge amount of worry about that. Um, but I suppose just coming in and saying, well, where am I? Where are they? And uh, having a level about it, I suppose, in terms of their their emotional level would be a different, different, totally different factor, I'd say, because they're coming in thinking, what am I like? Even if not vaccinated, vaccinated, mm. who, who do I know if I'm going to play a contact sport or, or whatever, what, or even a non-contact sport? Um, you know, how close do they have to be, you know, and so there's a lot of, you know, just, I'd say, emotional issues that go on that people are wary of, um, even in between that sort of break, where we were sort of level, level two, level three, yeah. I can't remember which one, where, where people were relatively active, there was, a, there was a mad rush to, you know, to get on the golf course, to get onto a tennis court, to get onto a pitch, you know, and it was like, God, you know, it's like the season's open all together and it's, uh, it, 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 you know, and then everybody being off work, it was like, God, wow, it's, uh, getting, it's even getting competitive amongst people who would be normally quite sociable. Yeah. Um, so even that fact, while we probably laugh about it because we had no, even from the golf end, they're saying, well, how, I can't even get on the time sheet. <laughs> but, yeah. You're suddenly thinking, this is madness. Like, uh, you know, but, but, but in one sense, it's, it's great. It actually, to me, it sort of showed that there's so much, you know, need to get out there and participate, just for the fun, um, that that became competitive, in possibly in the wrong way, but in that sense, uh, you know, it, those are the rules and sort of things that we get together. So yeah, I suppose on that end, the elite end, to some extent, they still have a lot of of issues and problems because going to like European athletics was on at the weekend. Um, Yes, I know all of those have been vaccinated. Yes, they're all getting COVID testing on a regular basis, but it's still a still out there. Mm. Um, we don't know where 
And so that that's always going to be in the back of, of somebody's head. So it's sort of, if you're lining up on your 60 meter sprint and you think, yeah. I'm not too sure, but it's, you know, you're, you know, in terms of Poland, where it was, I don't know what they're. Yeah. Uh, sure. Who, who knows at the end of it? Mal- Malachi Kirkland had, a, had an interesting article, I don't know, was it yesterday or one of the days in uh, in the paper about about just about that youth sport, about how look the evidence wasn't there to support keeping kids out of out of pitches and out of whatever. But th- that whole idea of, of you know, the, the increased community traffic, I suppose, and parents dropping into fields and standing around watching. But um Alan, I suppose yeah. I want to. I want to just look at maybe this. So I'm. I'm, I'm conscious here, Alan, that that I've had. I've had coaches contact me that are under sixes or eights and tens coaches, and then uh, people at the other end of the spectrum who are involved at, at you know at the highest level that they can go. So uh, I'd like to just kind of look at this maybe in two different ways in terms of participation sport and then and in the performance element of it and and maybe look at different things that that you think you know from from that psych, sports psychology element that would be important for coaches of those kind of age groups really you know um yeah, yeah sure yeah um, you know, it's, it's, i suppose it's a high how our coaches in all sports help kids keep on going and keep on playing and uh, really it's what they do and how they do it is quite it's quite a, you know, it's probably one of the most significant factors in that because that environment, um, because even if you're under four, five, six, seven, eight, whatever it is, whatever sport, whatever, it's still a performance environment. You know, so all of the the fact that psychological factors that are, are the things like, you know, like how does your family view this? You know, like, and you know, never mind the coach. How does the coach look at that? How supportive are they? How accessible is it for them to, you know, go and watch and support? Um, and and the big thing would be, I think, just you know, having having four kids myself, and just and like you said, you have kids as well. You know, is that children's sport is not professional sport, but we, and we shouldn't think it is. We may want them to get there somewhere, you know, 10, 20 years on or whatever the age group. But it's not the same, and and we tend to mirror that, and that that that's a worrying factor because at a certain age, we're going to lose them. Um, and at an under eight level, I suppose the research would suggest that at that, coaches should really instruct um, because they they need to be led. They're used to that in, in their environment in schooling, um, so the teacher leads them on, the coach takes them somewhere. And he or she will have that that I suppose that knowledge as such, um, but also where they're going to and where they want to go. When they get that little bit of, let's say, not quite adolescence, between the age of about 10 and 14. Now, a, a lot of people are literature is based on girls, but in fact, the peer influence is the biggest influence as opposed to the coach. Mm. So if they want to stay, it's what their mate thinks as opposed to what the coach thinks. So the coach might be very positive, have a great attitude, really encouraging. But that doesn't have a huge factor if their mate thinks, Jesus, you know. So within that whole group, that's how they're going to stay at it. Um, and that happens with girls um, for a number of reasons. But it it's a way that we look at things. And if a coach has put in an under, an under eight that they want to win, 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 mm. as opposed to just play, um, then they're going to come out with another negativity and they're going to have an awful lot of over-competitive instincts 
when they get to that, which we call, which we leave, we were calling it now mental health sort of age for coaches because there's a quite a distinctive group that between in the round 13, 14, if they've had, there's two schools of thought. One is that if they've had very negative experiences when they're young, a lot of them actually make it to the elite top level mm. if they've had, because it, it drives them on. But for the most people, if they've had a lot of negativity from their peers and their significant others, that's family, coaches, um, and their mates, then bye-bye, not staying here. It's not good. Don't like it. And that actually leads into greater things globally in terms of like, you know, anxiety and depression mm. and affective disorders. And there's, there's quite a lot of Australian literature on that. And they're, they're, they're putting a lot of factors in that in terms of their teenage groups where they really promote, not sport, they, they promote, promote maybe community development for, for fun. So right. it's not performance. It, it's actually about effort. So they actually look at it. How well did you know? Did you really try harder? You know that that's yeah. wrong. We don't really care about the result. So yeah. they actually reward and they assess by effort, yeah. which is, is a lovely thing to have. You know, because if you try hard, you may not be the winner, but you've given your all. And really, that's for all of us. That's all we'd want ever to expect. Yeah. Um, I think the other one is that this this argument of the perf performance over the person. So we should look after the person. If we can look after them, the performances will occur, provided coaches and the other people around them, the supporting periphery, have put their bits in place. They may not always win everything. That, that's just not going to happen either. Um, but if we look after the person, as opposed to winning and performance, we're more likely to get a, a much, psychologically, a much better mindset going into, would you believe, later sport, playing sport throughout their, what you would call, crux age of, 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 of teenage development, mm -hmm. and even later on as in lifelong, so they keep on going and transit in from maybe GAA, they're going to golf or they're going to, you know, yeah. different type of sport, so so they can do something to their, you know, get to yeah. my old age and so forth. So, yeah, yeah. Shit, that's, that's, the, that's the goal though, isn't it? It is, yeah, like lifelong activity and, and just keep on participating it's, it's you know and they can take different roles at that that always finds me with coaching is that coaching tends to be very technical mm. developed and still is as opposed to say going into somewhere like, say, with like the models in PE for example were a thing called sport education which has come up a lot in uh, Australian literature where basically they would say right you six you just group them in sixes they decide on what color they're going to turn up for training, and they have a little team name. They they make those decisions that they're all, they're all you know they could be the tigers or they could they could be the lions, the leopards, or whatever. No, so, and then they pick their own color, provided it's not the same as somebody else's. And then they have a role. So it might be in our team of six that I take the warm up and the, maybe a warm down. That somebody else takes um you know does a little bit of the coaching. That somebody else does a little bit of the the refing. You know, because normally what we happen in, in, in bigger mass participation games is we have lots of kids, lots, a couple of coaches, and a few really willing, you know, eager parents, and they're going, oh, go and ref that game, oh, go and ref that game, and and then they'll get all they do is get abuse, <laughs> you know, and um, um, but we but we 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 end, we we actually ended up to them, we we give them 
the, the chance to get a view is a code to say, well, you ref your own games. Do your own stuff. You see what it's like. You'll see what happens. And, and, they, and they work it out. Kids are great at solving problems. They're quite good at giving abuse. Yes. <laughs> but, the, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll solve it themselves as opposed to saying, no, no, stop that. So nearly taking a step back to allow their responsibility and independence to go is much better for the self-esteem as well. And I suppose that whole mutual respect starts to come out, you know, and so they won't be saying, oh, God, uh, you missed that one again, or such and such later on, it'll be, yes, you missed one, no problem, next one, let's go on with it. So it's trying to develop that, and that, that you know, that that is challenging. There's, there was, there's so much there now. I, I was trying to write notes to keep up with you to go back and ask you stuff, and I've lost half it. But that's okay. I'll listen back when when I put it out. Uh, there's a, a couple of things there now that I, I want to just drill down a little bit on. You, you mentioned there on the under rates or lower the the need for instruction. Um, so I, I, I'm I'm a big proponent of the of the games based approach to, to to coaching. Obviously, as we get a little bit older and 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 kids are are. Um, uh, they have those 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 tools, I suppose, that they're able to cope with the the different things and figure stuff out for themselves a little bit more. And and the idea of instruction for the under eights is is an important distinction to make that they they rely on the coach that little bit more for, you know, for that direction, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but I, in terms of uh, the the games based approach, Alan, from a, from a from a psychological aspect in terms of youth sport, how how does that affect kids when they're playing when they're playing or when they're training or playing any sport? I mean it's, it's probably the best way to start anyway. So and that's sort of like games based or teaching games for understanding type of approach is by starting with a game, it, it nearly allows them to say, All right, this is what we're here for, this is what we want to do. So they're immediately engaged. Um, because if they if they do the old the old I have to I will say it's an old approach. They let's do a warm up, let's mm-hmm. do a few skills, let's get them you know getting an, unfortunately into a queuing system which is a nightmare, um, and then let's modify those skills and then we'll play a, you know a bit of a game at the end and we'll see and, and that that kills you know start with the game and and you learn how to appreciate it then. The knowledge of the coach or you know who was with them will be able to say, well, maybe it's our passing or maybe it's our such and such or so now I can go and look at that. So you, you would bring them out, put them in smaller sides and say, right, let's have a game. We'll play four on two, and I want to see how many passes you can get that you you know if it's if it's football or hurling that, mm. that that's clean, you know it's caught and it, it's accurate and you're moving to collect it and then swap over and then go back into the game. So continually going back into that context is the most important thing, but taking them out to develop, to work on a technique where they make decisions and when they appreciate what they're doing, but it's still in a game's base. Mm. It's so much more fulfilling for, for kids because they're continually playing. They're, they're, they're nearly like what you say, if, if you, and God forbid, because it's PE, but PE, when they have their warm-up and such and such and, and cool down there, they actually only participate in 17% of that lesson. Now, if you have a games-based approach, you're way up into the 80s, 90s. You're only stopping for a quick bit of instruction and a transition over into something else, and you're off again. And, and you're suddenly thinking, well, why aren't we doing that all the time? Mm. You know, for physical activity? You know, for our health and and for the enjoyment, because it's it's if, if you asked anybody, 
Have you asked any PE teacher of any description what is the most frequent question will be when are we playing a game? Yeah. You know, and that's what they get when we plan a game. Yeah. We'll do this first and then and yeah. then. So so why not start with the game? <laughs> oh God, yeah. I geez, now I'm having difficulty with this. Yeah, okay. So they, they develop that appreciation and, and they can make decisions about it and then they can go back into the game. And, and then the, the transition is easy and they realize that. And it's all, I suppose it's all specific because when they do become adults, at least all of that stuff is not taking, it's not in isolation because mm. we teach skills in isolation. But again, there's lots of things going around. There's movement, there's calling, there's filing, there's whatever. Yeah. You know, um, but that, and that's what we play in. We don't play in two lines saying, yeah, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna practice the, the, the punt pass. We kick it to somebody who's in a line in front of them, and we run round to the end of the queue because you say, why are you running there? Or why are you going on a straight line? Do you ever play football on a straight line? Mm. It, you know, so it sort of it gets them the idea of saying, well, listen, you know, where's the space? Where's the angles? He wants the ball out in front yeah. of him. Okay, right, okay. You know, the fella behind him's taller. Jesus, they'll put the ball lower to him. So. All of those are decisions that they'll learn and make in a context that's 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 not only a, a good positive learning environment, but it's actually will take it further so they become learned performers, mm. um, as opposed to just people with can do a few drills. Yeah, yeah, no, that's and 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 like I I, I look at the you know the motivation side of that obviously as well, and and like you you mentioned you mentioned the, the you know the, the groups of six and go in and pick your own bibs and pick your team name and pick your own roles that the way you're you're actually giving them choice and you're giving them opportunities to work independently and how that services you know their their need for autonomy i suppose and 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 how that impacts on on their development of intrinsic motivation and and like that's i suppose that's what we're looking for in 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 any game that people are intrinsically motivated from themselves to, to go and play and to perform, whether it's a round of golf when you're 60 or it's a, you know, it's a game of football when you're 25, whatever that's, that's what every coach is looking for really, isn't it? No, totally. Yeah. And it's, it's really, it really is about trying to get them to, to I suppose not to be, definitely be more independent. Um, but certainly, um, that whole literature on what's called sport enjoyment, and all, all of the sources of that, it's, it's all about, you know, you know, let them have some decision-making, let them have some choice, as you said. Uh, it's, it's like sometimes when, you know, I, I see, geez, I, sometimes I be passing pitches sometimes, you know, years ago, you said, said, they have them all lined up and they're still picking teams. You think, oh, God, no. The, the, the poor person who's going to be in the last couple, like, how, how do they feel? You know, why does it just feel right? We need four teams here. Give us four colours, cones. There's eight in the team, right? I need six reds, six greens, three, six blues, and six whites. Throw them around and say, right, lads, first one to pick up a cone, get back to me, wins, right? And they run out and they fire and get a cone and come back. They don't even care what color it is. Right? You're white, you're red, you're blue, you're like, that's a team, let's go. And they go, now you can only do that every so often. Yeah, they figure but out. Again, it's one of those random things. You say, hey, let's do it. And, but there again, what, what you've got is you haven't got this, well, here's the hierarchy. Because the people at that lower end, they're, they're not going to stay long. No. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sad sort of thing in terms of that. And, and kids, to be fair, they actually want to learn new skills. 
that would be one of the big things in the in 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 terms of why do you do sports? Hmm. So they actually want to learn new skills. They want to get better because that that they feel better about themselves. But if we put them into a nearly that mastery oriented drill like idea, we're, we're not going to get that mm. because nobody's perfect. And I suppose sometimes the more we try for perfect, the less we get it. Mm. Um, and sometimes best to say, well, it's nice to get really good, and maybe that's our level. Mm. You know, and that and yeah, it's nothing wrong with that. I just I I just feel in terms of coaching behaviors, we tend to look more on that as opposed to well, she's really trying hard. You know, three or four years' time, I want her on my team. Yeah, you know, because she's gonna work hard. She's gonna chase back. She's gonna do such and such. She's gonna so you sort of think, yeah, and you know, you know when you see your excuse my I always call them Ronaldos. <laughs> Those people who are incredibly skilled at you know whatever they've been phenomenally skilled, but you sort of think, well, how are they going to fit in? You know, we need to realise that they are they have extraordinary skill, but somebody needs to tell us that because they they get a different maybe mindset or a different sort of rules that I get. I have to be here at a certain time. Ronaldo doesn't. I have to be such and such. Ronaldo doesn't, and and that happens in a lot of our teams, you know. And and you sort of think, well, did our coach not say that uh, we're not uh, if we don't turn off for training, we can't get picked? This happens at that sort of mm-hmm. you know teenage years, and then Ronaldo hasn't been to training, but Ronaldo turns up. Now, everybody knows Ronaldo's the best, but he's picked. But coach, mm-hmm. you just told us. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna argue with it. Yeah. And you suddenly got this facade going on to say, well. Rather than the coach saying, Ronaldo's not here today, but he, he probably is one of our better players. I think, what do you think? Do you think we, we would do better with him or without him? And just throw it out there. You know, and say, we're all different. You know, we all have different things to bring and, and you know, put into the, the team. So selection will depend not just on such and such, but if you make people aware, they're more liable to accept. Mm. If you say you can't do it and you let it go, it's like, they won't be back. Yeah, those ones that are on the on the sort of on the on the football or hurling side, and sitting around 19, 20, 21 on the selection, it's like, nah. yeah, I do something that somebody wants me. Um, and I suppose like you, you've been from the elite end in terms of basketball and football, you you you've probably seen you've probably seen an awful lot of that happen. I think we've got much better at it. Yeah, um, I think we've been much you know in terms of our education, coach education, we've got much better at that. But um, you sort of, you do still see it going on. It's like I would, I would sort of question that sort of stuff, hmm. um, and I would question a lot of the coaching. What I would call deliberate practice, like Erickson and Cote's um, all stuff is really theorised incredibly. But I would nearly say, well, we should be doing deliberate play. Let them hmm. play, hmm. as opposed to practice. The, the practicing, yes, I know that will implement some stage and yeah. fit in the jigsaw somewhere, but have a deliberate play that we can get something from it. So look a little bit more. Let's get them. The team that wins today is not the man who scores, but the team that, you know, tell each other they're doing well or communicates the most or, do, you know, something that's totally different. Yeah. And, and just change those, you know, just each week and say, you win this week and then you win the first game because I heard you 12 comments you made amongst you. You only got nine, so mm. you need to talk a bit more. You need to you know, help each other, and uh, you sort of think, oh, it's, it's a nice, it's a, uh, it's yeah. different, yeah. But 
it's uh, you know for a team base, it's it's a really good way to do it. Yeah, um, that's that's yeah. I, 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 I like that, and I I I think that idea of rewarding effort is is a really no, that's that's a powerful thing at any level, obviously, but especially at underage, you know, if we're if we're if we're spotting the guy that makes the run, that that you know, in any sport, that maybe he doesn't get the score, maybe he doesn't have the assist, but he did something that that contributed positively to the team, and and we're able to pick that out and and say, geez, that was a that was a really important thing that you did there when you chased that guy, you didn't get a hand on him, but you put him under pressure just by chasing even though he wasn't your man and now suddenly that 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 spreads doesn't it it does yeah because you know they've got a good feeling and they're gonna let that go out and then other people hear that and they sort of think oh yeah so it's not it's not about scoring it's actually about work rate mm. Mm. it's about effort it's about helping each other and, and those are the things that we that as coaches in all sports we tend to shy away from because they're quite hard to measure mm. they're actually quite hard to organize and plan but sometimes when you go out for a plan, you sort of think, and that's sometimes the way we've been brought up, as opposed to saying, okay, so I might go out and coach a bit of tennis, and I might say, right, I've got eight kids here, right, we're playing one-on-one on half a court, there's a few balls, off you go. And you see, you know, the better ones winning and such and such, you say, okay, so you will do the same, but I want you to play, and you have to play, like, and, and I might have eight players, so I'm picking one up, so you have to play like Djokovic, you have to go and play like Federer. You know, like, oh, I don't want to. I said, Just, I don't care. I said, you have to be able to swap around a minute and we'll do whatever. And they go out and they actually sort of image and they play and they model and they, and they even have the same behaviors. And nice. I did 14 bites of the ball. And they go, <laughs> and they go What's the time? You know, the guy's gone, Hey, have you got 15 seconds on him? You know, this, you know, they go like, and that they have a bit of fun. And, and you say, think, well, you know, we got more out of that because I know that they actually watch tennis or they do, you know, you think, oh. Yeah, and I said, I noticed you bounce the ball. So you say, yeah, Jack, always does that. Yeah, yeah. And the dad, it was this, but sure. And they have the behaviors and you're thinking, no, you think, wow. Yeah, and then you can do tactical stuff. Oh, you can only win a point if you serve a volley. Now you're getting into a bit more deliberate practice there, but it's sort of thing, you know, just vary it up. That's yeah. another, I suppose, in terms of coaching with young kids, keep it, keep it big ratty. Mm. You know, nearly in the back pocket, you suddenly think this coaching session's a bit stale, even though you planned it well. And you think it's just sometimes it's just, oh, you know, I wish I had some fireworks or something. And yeah. just say, just have some some chance to do something different, even go out of the game and do something totally different. You know, have have you know, fun t- team like sort of like cooperative type games and try that. Um, but. Um, yeah, to keep, keep kids in, it's, it is about like, not only about new skills and keep them involved socially, but it, it's, it's really about, I'd say, like the, the effort is a big thing. I think you have to reward mm-hmm. that. Um, right, you know, to be honest, that's why I think Ken's rallies did a great job because they always gave everybody got something. Yeah. You know, and there could be kids that, that only went down and, and they stood there and they just <laughs> shouted to their mates. <laughs> No, they had no interest in playing football at all. But you know, and they, they would, you know, so, oh, okay, uh, so going in. But they were sort of like, "What's the time?" You know, it's nearly twelve o'clock. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like coke and so, so, but, but they stayed at it, you know. And you never know. A few years' time, they they could say, "Hey, they could be," and and that we never we need to think about late developers. We we need to think about lifelong participation, but we also might think about you know self image, self confidence self-esteem, especially amongst that peer group. 
Yeah, and funny, we I had uh, I had Russ Bradbird on there on the the first week. He he coached basketball actually. He used he used work over in uh, Texas El Paso as a basketball coach in different places. But he did, he had a great line. He said. Um, we, as coaches, we don't remember everything we say to kids, but the kids sure as hell remember everything we say to them. And and he he, he was talking about it from, from a point of view. He wasn't a very good basketballer. And, and uh, one of the coaches mentioned, he pointed down to another kid who was practicing below on a different team. And and this kid that he pointed at was a brilliant dribbler, a brilliant ball handler. And he said, you know what? Like, because you, you're not an athlete and you can't really shoot, but you could be a very good you know ball handler if you worked at it. And he went away and he dedicated them just out of that one comment. And he said it was like the, the one or, you know, maybe the two things he'd said to him all year. And he went away and dedicated himself to that and, and turned himself into an incredible ball handler and has worked with NBA players on their ball handling and all that stuff out of out of that one comment that a coach made to him. And um, it's just, it, it's very impactful, I suppose, the coach's position at that age group. Like you mentioned the peer groups and, and how he affects those. But, you know, it, like comments or, or whatever can be really, really important and impactful in a, in a long way, can't they? Well, absolutely. The language that we use... Um, to them is really important and how we actually say things and then, then how they interpret or perceive what they've said to them, you know, like, so that's great, fantastic. Works only so much, you know, it's sort of like, it's really like giving them a little bit more than that, mm. you know, tell them why they did something, you know, like like you said, the person's you chase back, you know, and, and you made it awkward for them to get the shot in or such and such, you know, that was really good work, fantastic, well done. And they realize, okay, so, that's what he likes and she likes. He wants me to chase back and do such and such. So giving them that informative information is really good. It encourages them. It encourages more people to play. Um, it's it like the, the other big thing for me in terms of the, the language is, is sometimes on the, it's interesting. I, I used to I work with uh, RS basketball referees years and years and years ago when they were in, they got really, they got a bad stick. Um, from the players, Jeez. as well as probably coming down to Tralee, but uh, <laughs> they got an awful, they got an awful lot of stick on, especially off the coaches. And I, I suppose at one stage the American coaches changed their image. They went from tracksuits to suits mm. and ties. Mm. The suits and ties went here. I'm a professional, and they didn't jump and down and screaming and shouting. They went back to a whiteboard, or they changed their tactics. That, the same way as managers in Premier League, they come out with the same script. So their language is different. They don't come and say, ah, oh, Jesus, all right, oh. They come out and say, well, we did such and such really well. Yes, we, we didn't play that well. We made a few errors. We'll work at that. So there's always some form of a, a rebuttal that's quite positive. Now, that's quite, that's well managed um, psychologically. Um, and it's a really it's, it's it's trying to keep away from like we take it the other side is that if, if somebody says to somebody on the pitch and they're you know a 13 or 14 year old playing oh, that was your fault then oh what have you just done there so that that's a huge devastating comment as opposed to saying maybe if you worked a bit harder and doing such and such think about getting closer to him what about doing such and such a I think he's better on his left. What do you think? Let just keep on such and such a side. Or as and, and I know people emotionally on the sidelines get mm. get get carried away because um, as having refed underage games, I've, I've sent parents out of the pitch <laughs> only because the, you know they were abusing their own. Never mind everybody else's. <laughs> it's like uh, so this is madness, you know. And uh, um, 
and, and we would, you know, you can nearly laugh about it after. She said, oh, it's all exciting. And I said, I know you're getting emotionally charged there. Uh, and I said, yeah, I probably made it worse for my decisions. But in that sense, I'm only trying to do a job here and such and such. And uh, it, I think sometimes when they made aware of their actions, you know, um, but it's a it's an interesting factor with, with coaching, as you said, their language or their comments. And, and it's really about if you provide them with success as opposed to winning comments, they're, they're, they're going to take something from that. They're going to hold on to it. And cognitively, I suppose... It's good self-talk because winning has an outcome. You either win or you lose. Success is, okay, I'm doing that really well. Okay, so I can hold on to that. So my self-talk will be relatively positive or motivational. So therefore, I can actually you know, do something better or harder or, or set myself some direction. Um, and that's, I suppose, that those coaching behaviors, that's where I think we've probably moved in the last decade towards that psychosocial end as opposed to hopefully technical or, t or tactical end. Um, it, it's sort of, it's one of those things that, you know, how much planning the coaches do in their sessions and they may have streams of lesson plans or they have such and such, but you sort of think, well, at the end, sounds terrible, or Roy Keane at the end of the day. It, 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 at, at, the, at the end of your session, what is it you want? And most of them will say, we want them to have some fun. Mm -hmm. Well, then where's the fun activities in, in this or this? Or how are you going to make that fun? And when you even pose that question, they go, wait, I could do such and such. You could, great, try that out. And it's nearly a way of thinking because they actually plan quite, but they're, they're planned, they structure their plan mm. and then they try to keep to it when things are a little bit more, rather than say, okay, that's, I've got that. I want to do that. How can I make that a bit more enjoyable? How much, uh, what bit of crack can I get out of it as well as them? You know, because that is a, it's a nice reciprocal arrangement for the coaches actually having fun mm. as well as you know, the people that are taking. Yeah. And, and they respond to that sort of like reciprocal arrangement because it, it is, it's a nice relationship to have um, and it should be really encouraged um, and sort of, it doesn't have to be them and us, especially in underage, definitely. It should be us. Yeah. Um, I would say that at all levels, but it sort of it does again. You've got that mutual respect coming in, um, and you've got a. I suppose in one sense, a lot of parents will ask their kids when they come home, or on the way home, or in the car, how was your coaching or how was the set? Ah, that's all right. That's fine. Ah, sure. Grand. Grand. The usual come. Grand. There's some of them will say, "Oh, such and such, such and such." And then you know you're bringing in another significant other here. So if you made it fun and they get in the car and they're quite loud, and the parent says, "How oh, was your session? Oh, great crack! Jesus, your man did such and such, and God, the coach is a nutcase. He's a real, you know, whatever. She's done such and such." The parent will say, "Oh, at least I have a bit of fun, Grant. Mm. And that, you know that that's what you know. Is that is that that is the end game? It is something that professional sport has lost, mm. but can never can really can't have. You can't have fun, but we can't have bags of laughter. You yeah. know? And uh, yeah. the whole session should be like that there, but no. So yeah. It's a good way. Self-talk there is an interesting one. So if, 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 I'm, a, if I'm an under-14 coach or an under-16 coach, you know, in basketball or football or rugby or whatever, 
how, what is what is self-talk? I, I just maybe for for people so that they understand how how that could be used for a fourteen or sixteen-year-old kid. What what would that mean to them? So the narrative that we we say to ourselves will always go on. It's a dialogue that we have. Um, it'll it happens when you know as soon as you can communicate to the the time when you you say goodbye to everybody. It, we're always going to have that. It's how we use that in in a constructive way, and we're all different. So a lot of people will actually, you know, enjoy the positive talk that they say about themselves. You know, I'm playing really well. I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm doing this well. I'm doing such and such well. I'm going to have a good game today. I'm, you know, I'm going to, you know, and a 14 year old, there's a, there's quite a lot of what we would call peaks and troughs. You know, in terms of mood states, in terms of you know, um, endorphins and uh, chemical and biological things that are going on, and 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 all of that doesn't give themselves a great feeling of positivity or of self-image or identity meaning. So it's really the self-talk should be geared towards them, but it's normally influenced by those significant others, so the coach or the parent or the peers. So it, it's a nice exercise sometimes. For, so you had a group of, say, under 15s, just sit around in a circle with a piece of paper, put your name at the top of the paper, fold, you know, fold it over, just pass it around to your left. And then the person around you has to write a comment about whoever's name as they go around. But there's a boundary on that. The boundary is that the comment has to be a positive comment or a humorous comment. But there can be nothing negative on it. All right? So say you have 12 sitting around, and so that means that you're going to get 11 comments back that are either funny or say things good about you. Mm. Now, if you can manage to swap it around rather than when they get it back, they go, so you think I'm such and such? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? But they, you suddenly think, well, I'm not too sure who wrote that, but that's quite nice. That's a nice comment. And that then, you know, that aids and facilitates your self-talk because somebody said to you, oh, he's a fantastic ball hammer, mm. you know, mm. or he's really good at doing such and such, or, you know, I love the way he takes a Mickey out of such and such, you know, anything like that. You know, it doesn't like it's if it's funny, it doesn't make it, you know, it's part of the character, it's social, and you know, it's part of the team ethic as well, because teams are made up of all kinds of sorts, as you as you well know. So and, and that's 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 what makes it that, that's probably why you know why they they gel or go well together, um, as opposed to being all of the same. So the self-talk should be it literally you get them from positive probably could do with a little bit of what we would call motivational self-talk and less technical because the more you think technically then the more that you you know if you're not doing it right then that comment will continually stay at you so if it's motivational like okay i'm going to do this i'm going to try and do such and such. you know i'm going to get six out of ten here i'm really you know so it might be that in in in, in rugby or in, in football you could look at the stats Maybe not at under fourteen or fifteen, but later on they can look back and say, "Oh, listen, I made you know, I made fourteen you know successful tackles, or I missed one. Okay, right, so I need to try." That that's a that's a nice stat. It's whatever. Yeah. So so all of that adds up to that self talk to say, you know, I am playing well, I'm tackling well, I'm staying low on the ball, I'm doing such and such, whatever. So um, it's 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 one of those ways that young kids, when coaches tell them what they're doing right is that they need to enforce it a bit more and they need to tell each other mm. 
that they're doing right. And that's why it's nice for a group to say, uh, rather than stick people in performance situations, have to stand out and they say, well, what did Alan do well today? Well, the rest of them, well, just don't be saying that. No, at that, it's easy to say, now get something, you know, maybe pick two or three of them that you three work together and you three work together and you do that. And you're going to play that three in a minute. And, and all I want you to see is, I want you to see you connect. I want you to see you to relate. I want you to see you to communicate. I want you to see, you know, if things go down and they score and they do such and such, that's okay. Mm. We're not interested. It's not, it's, we're not playing championship. We're not playing such and such. We're not playing that. And that's what I call adult like professional sport. Mm. We're just playing a little, we're playing a game. Yeah. You now, so let's play like a game. Um, and let's get that. It's sort of, you know, it's a nice thing to have within groups and teams. And you sort of can look around at good teams who maybe are not successful teams, but they actually get on mm. quite well together. You always have a little bit of conflict. That's that's that all partial with egos um, and sport. But in that sense, it's, it's nice to say, well, actually, no, there's there's not a lot of you know there's there's not a lot of conflict. You can come into a room here and they're they're very friendly with each other. Yeah. There's a lot of mess and crack on. And mm. it's, it's a nice changing room to go into because. Um, you know, I think that if you're coming in new, so having you know maybe played hockey in the UK for a long time in the Premier League, that I would come into a new club and, and they'd be able, they'd look at you and say, oh, you sort of think, right, I'm a stranger. I've been to training. I know a few of them, but they're not. You know, there's a bit of something going on here, and the interpersonal stuff, or so interpersonal stuff with the coach or with themselves or whatever. And you go to another club. Um, and they'll say, geez, oh, what about you? No, and they'll give you a bit of crack, they'll give you a nickname, and, and you know, you can retort back, and you have you suddenly built on a relationship stuff, and it's you know, it's nice, it's good, sort of those things that teams should take a little bit more work at, mm. even you know, even at the professional level or even at the county level, if you like. They should think about you know, how, how well do I want to change. So, what, what is, do, do people start to do they go quiet? Or do they still keep the same noise level? Or you know, are they? What do they do? And why do they do it? And that's just something. So it's worth actually having psychologically having a look at why that happens, mm. and saying, well, maybe we need some change here. Yeah, that, that that's and that goes back to one of the points you made earlier. Is just the, I suppose the environment that you're that you're working in, whether that whether that's your under tens or or it's your your uh, your older stuff. It, it probably all still comes back to that and, and the, the fun and, and all that stuff. That all comes from, from the context and the environment that you're working in, I suppose. Yeah, and that's great. And, that, and really, that's why we stay at it. That's why we go and spectate at it. And it's, it's, it's nice to see. It's nice to see them going, yes, it's always great at a, at a more elite level to see that the outcome and the winning and such and such. But uh, even at an underage group, I know an awful lot of parents would down just to see the winning as opposed to anything else or other. And sometimes their selection, which is another element that coaches probably. I think I think our rules probably probably go a little bit too overboard in underage level, where in, for football or soccer or whatever it is, if you're 18 players, let's use them all. Mm. I, mean, football, I remember going down to a club with 30 kids, and I knew they had two pitches, uh, and I rang them beforehand. They were under under eight. That girls and boys, right to play, loads of parents coming down, no problem. Grand, I said to the coach, I said, um, Do we just, just 
Do you want to do? Do you want to pick a, a better team and a, a, or do you just want to say, you we said, no, we can have one game. I said, but you could have 30 odd kids. Yeah. He said, oh, yeah. Now, I said, but should we have a picture with her? You could have one. I don't have one. I don't care. He said, no, no, no. And I remember going to the change room with the 30 kids, thinking, what am I going to do here? And I gave them a number. One, two, one, two, one, two, went round. And they looked at me and I said, ones, you're playing the first half. Twos, you're playing the second half. And they went, what? I said, listen, I said, I know we should be playing two games. But listen, it's the way it happened. I remember going out and thinking this, the ones went out. And I was thinking, oh, yeah, we've no goalkeeper. But did really well. In what sense, they, they just said, who wants to go and goal in the twos? And they said, ah, the three or four of them said, ah, I'll do that. I said, oh, great. No, sure, we can swap it around. Don't worry about that. That's kind of thing. Who cares? And, and they were nice, but they all played. And it was lovely to see the ones afterwards, you know, cheer them on. Mm. And the twos who were watching them cheer them on. You thought, hey, this is a good group. And I, I looked at the other fellas' team and I went, there's 15 lads over there and they're just wandering off. They're not even bothered. They're not interested. Mm. You know, there's three or four who might get pulled in and out. Um, and I know I got abuse afterwards from the, the guy because he said, you're not allowed to have 15 substitutes. And I said, yeah, I said, we're not really playing. <laughs> it's, it's, only, it's only a bit of fun. Yeah. And, uh, you, you know, it's sort of, it is those sort of little sort of bits you think, wow, you know, just, so it was, it was lovely to see, you know, I, I don't even know the score. Can I remember it? Because, you know, the, the interest yeah. was I got them all out there and played. They actually got drenched. I think everybody <laughs> else, but hey, it's, uh, it's, it, was, it was much more fun. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, if you want to keep people coming back, you have to let them play. Mm. Yeah. That's what our whole I think, structure needs to just change. Yeah, and I think it. Ha- I think that has changed, especially those underage. Alan, like that, uh, like that story, like would drive you bonkers. Like listening to a fellow with ten or twelve or fifteen substitutes on the sideline and doesn't want to play. And and I think, like especially in the GA, and I think most of the sports now have evolved to like you know even playing three games and picking three teams and making sure everybody's playing and getting touches and making decisions and and have moved away from that 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 silly idea of leaving so many people on the sideline, which is great to see. But um, I just want to, I want to touch on this, Alan. I don't, I'm, I'm conscious now of your time yeah. and, I, and I don't want to, I don't want to delay you, but I just want to touch on the performance side of things then, or maybe that, that more elite performance and maybe your, even your experience, obviously with the Paralympics and, and, and um, inter-county GA and different things. But what are some of the key, what are some of the keys there, Alan, you see in, in terms of, of the environment there for, for, that, that elite sport that are very important from a psychological point of view? I suppose one of, one of the big things is the relationship between coach and athlete and how well that involves and what's in it. I suppose the, the other performance is that at the elite level is that your training environment is really important and it needs to simulate as much as possible your, your game or your sport environment. Um, that's where in Ireland we're a little bit lost because we're facility wise um weather wise mm. uh, but um it fr- from an elite performer there are they have an awful lot of what we would call parts of the jigsaw puzzle that they need to, to do so there would be the, the training element there would be the, the coaching element there would be the nutritional the psychological um and if it's a team sport it, i suppose it's one of the, it's basically trying to get them working with each other 
in different areas. So having worked with, in fact, we, we probably did it in Mornington Rugby League very early on, is where we actually did a lot of activities that weren't rugby related, but we did an awful lot of U6 uh, or doing U6. How we doing? But, you know, it could have been anything. It, it, you know, in fact, it was it was um, down at the bowling alley sometimes, you know, you know which is a bit of crack. So, and it was just to get to know each other and, and there would be people, you know, having a, a little bit of a, a mess with the other team and such and such and egos. And people get to realise what people are like. Um, so the team environment is slightly different. The individual environment, I'd say, in terms of psychology, the psychological skills end are only a small part. Most MAs or MSCs or, you know, degrees, courses in sports psychology talk about imagery and goal setting and uh, anxiety reduction and, uh, you know, and motivation and, and uh, sort of self-confidence building, but they really don't give an awful lot of what I would call inherent tools of what they do. So how do you build self-confidence and why are you building it that way? Uh, how, do you, how did you treat that decision? So the referee give you a bad decision or you feel it was a bad decision. How did you react to that behaviourally? And then emotionally? Well, I'm quite charged now because the next tackle I'm going to... You know, and you suddenly get this, and you say, "Well, hold on, that. Well, let, let's let's re, let's change this and let's use that." So it's, it's trying to, I suppose, put them into that context of saying, "Look," and it, it doesn't have to be. It's never a straightforward one in psychology. It's always an individual or personalized one. Um, I remember having worked with um, a a a Welsh. It was a Welsh international rugby player, um, but he was was sort of a a club. Thing that uh, he played in the scrum, and uh, whenever they get down in the scrum, they, they chat to each other. They don't ask them how they're getting on, they sort of say other things that are probably a little bit more mm. uh, sort of trash talk or whatever. And normally, what happened was he would get up, he would look at his fist, and it would lash out. And of course, he got a red card. He'd be, you know, be banned then for a few weeks. He, he would miss international stuff. And this club was saying, We just need. Help them. So I remember looking at the videos of them and saying, so I said, it's interesting. I said, so what happened down there? And he would tell you all what they were saying and such and such. And don't really need to know any of that. But it was all trash stuff. He said, well, so how did you feel? And he said, yeah, I was going to kill him. That was it. And, I said, right. <laughs> uh, and, and so, so your first reaction was, yeah, I was going to last year, he was going to get it, you know, no matter what. That's right. And I said, did you retort back to him in this trash talk sort of stuff? Yeah, of course I did. I said, so what did he think? And he said, uh, he probably thought the same. I said, right, so just a relative balance. Yeah. He said, oh, yeah, but I was in first. You know, I was in a competitive <laughs> that I got the first punch in. And I said, right, I said, we well, see, my job here really is to stop you getting sent off so that you can play for your club and play for, the, you know, for, for Wales. And he said, yeah, that's that's held me back in the last year or two. He said so. So I said, I noticed you look at your fist before you hit something. And he said, Yeah. And I said, Well, it'd be nice to to put something down like a trigger when you looked at your fist and might prevent you from lashing out or whatever. Uh, and we talked about what we could do. And he said, Oh, it's not. I'll put a bit of tape around it, the ground that won't want to defect because you know you're in this weather. Anything goes in there, it'll just wash off or whatever. So. So his club coach rang me the week after, and I said, uh, how'd it go? And his club coach says, well, positive and negative. And I said, oh, okay. So to give me the positive first, he said, oh, he didn't get sent off. I said, that's great. I said, he said, yeah, but he got flattened. 
<laughs> so he went, he looked at he looked at his fist and the other fit hit him. <laughs> so he went die. But he played on for the rest of the game and that. But it was nearly a now it was a trigger. Mm. But it, for him it was like, okay, now I realize when I get to here I need to do something. So basically it was you know hundreds of ways, not take deep breaths, not quite one to five, something a little bit listen, you're angry, you need a bit of release. What you need to do is get away from him, or I don't get number eight push you away and you just take a couple of sprints or jumps and get away from moving out and having three or four of those scenarios that somebody else could help him or he could do himself should work so that there's lots of stuff you know and they're like you know it could be getting nervous before performance you know those anxiety sort of stuff which which is normally quite we would say it's quite positive because everybody has them and that means you you know you're probably going to have a good game um, but I suppose it depends on a number of factors and, and trying to think of that's why you, um, routines are really important in all sport and what we do and why we do them or what we listen to or what we don't do and what we talk to people who we talk to people what we say to people and so forth so all of that's really you know, it's highly significant just before we play uh, Alan that's brilliant yeah I, I, I've just there's um it came up last week, actually, when we were talking about, uh, you know, and you mentioned it there earlier about the coaching courses and different things and, and how the coaching courses are so so focused still at the moment on on those kind of technical skills and, and the games and the X's and O's, as I was talking about them. And, um, like the, the, the movement towards or, or the need to start putting in those those softer skills is, is what Joe mentioned last week. And and I, and I don't like the, the language of softer skills in, in that I just feel that it, it dissuades people from actually engaging in them because, you know, it's not masculine, it's not, you know, it's whatever, it's in people's heads. But, but that need for, for, you know, those people skills, like everything you've spoken about there is... is it's generally it's it's being you know having good people skills really and and talking about the environment you're creating and and doing all those things like a, a lot of that is it's not stuff you're going to get in a in a in a coaching booklet about how to organize your session no it's not that's the unfortunate side of, of where i suppose it it happens nearly when you get to that level three four sort of level of a coach where you have different experts coming in or different you know sort of professionals coming in to tell you that but to me it's the wrong. It's it's a, the wrong way. Mm. You know, it, it's sort of when they're eight or nine or ten or eleven, that should be being introduced. Yeah. Because the higher level of coach, if you are that the coach with those types of softer skills going in will actually make life and performance better, um, and you know effort and you know self image and much better when they as they're going through and going through this you know everybody has rough patches in sports so but they'll be able to cope um i'm not going to use the words of resilience and because they're a bit mm. umbrella for me mental toughness but yeah uh, because they cover too much but in, in that sense that it, it's like saying well you know we've given them enough experiences here through our play that that should be able to they should be able to cope so with something maybe difficult happens they should have enough strategies to say well i can i can get through this um or i can use my mate to get through it which would be even better if you're in a team mm. sport yeah or even in an individual sport but yeah no it, it coaching courses need to think about the technical stuff i'm not saying is easy it's no. not uh, and but the softer skill stuff is actually really hard to 
I suppose, measure. Mm. And and that that's where a lot of people are, you know, don't like it. They don't say, well, I know if I run them for that much for that amount of time that I'm I'm going to get a you know a better aerobic base and such and such. And yeah, and that's great. And and we can see that scientifically, but it's not only really saying, well, it doesn't have to be a self-report, but it needs to be, well, how does this team feel? Yeah, mm. and, th- and those are the words that people say, Oh, we don't need any of that. Yeah. It's, you know, but, you know, like feelings, hey, like so I say they say, well, how do we react to our emotions? You know, and, and, and psychologists, if they want to sell things, they just change the different languages. You know, they, they use that appropriately. Nothing wrong with that because they're probably trying to do a good, really good job. Um, but it's sort of it's been able to manage. It's interesting. You were talking to Joe last week. Now I've known only Caroline from teaching her when she was up in Jordanstown, um, and she would look at the whole thing. She wouldn't just look at players. She would say, "Well, how does the coach come with players? How does how does the the bag? How does the you know how does this work?" And and then she would be able to say, "Well, you know, there's there's there's, a, there's no link there, or there's." Such and such there, or I noticed your behaviours were quite you no, know, they weren't very positive tonight, or you know, such and such. So all of that when you're seeing it and you're immersed in a in a, a team like that, then you know you, you probably have enough if you have the the influence or power to work with the significant others, the coach and the managers and such and such, then you'll have an impact. Um it's interesting to note that I think nearly every American football team has at least one plus psychologists working with them. Mm. So they, they could have two or three. Um, no, it's like, I have to work here, I have to work there, I have to, you know, working on different levels with different people on different things. And things. So in one sense, it, it's it's nice because a lot of people say, oh, I need some sports psychology. It's like going into a sweet shop and going, I need some sweets. Which ones? Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I'll take them all, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And you say, well, you can't take them all, but you can take them all, but, you know, it's going to take a long time. What What do you like? What do you need? What do you want? Oh, I quite like jelly beans. Okay, grand. Okay. We can work on, you know, emotional control. Perfect. Great. And so, so and it, it's sort of a, it, it's it's interesting to, to see that there's still an adage up there that sports ecology is still quite wide, mm. uh, as opposed to saying, you know, and that's where the, I suppose, goes back to your educational question in terms of coach education. At a higher level, you would expect coaches to say, I need to get such and such to do such and such better. Or I don't think they're confident. Um, maybe a psychologist could help me provide them with confidence because sports psychologists will not sit with you all day or can't be there all day, um, especially in amateur sports. So therefore, they'll need to pass the tools on to the coach, manager, players, whatever it is, to do that and ways of doing it. So it's still, I, I won't say it's in its infancy, but it is still quite, it's used a lot more than it was a decade ago mm. um, and used a tri- triple by, you know, 20 years ago. But it's probably still undervalued and that's mm. even by the, the amount of people accredited. Mm. Um, it sort of shows that and even the work that they get. Um, so it's quite, it's uh, one of those things that will get there, but yeah, it'll, it'll take a turnaround. But like strength and conditioning is the, the nice N word at the moment, and uh, I think that'll have a cycle and uh, it'll, it'll come it'll, it'll roll back to a little bit of psychology. We'll have a bit of a cycle and then it'll go back to something, so and that's that's fine, that's that's the way 
the life and sport works. So yeah, yeah, and like you said, it's it's easy on the strength and conditioning side because you can see what guys are lifting or you can see the times they're running. But it's that probably harder to quantify the impact of of uh, of the sports psychology side of it. Alan, before we go on, we're we're gone now. I promise, I'm letting you out the door. Um, if there was if there was one thing, Alan, like for for coaches of of any age group, no, this is this is your broad umbrella. If there was something from that kind of sports psychology field that you think it would be really important for coaches to bear in mind when they eventually get back on the field with with their players, whatever their sport they might be playing, what what put it in a nutshell, what would that be for us? Make sure make sure at an under make sure at the matter level, it's fun, enjoyable, has a lot of variety into it. Um, and that get, they can achieve something from every session that they do. So that's whether it's a coach or whether that's the, you know, the kids or whether that's a player. Make sure that something at the end of that session, they, they've, they've got something from it that they can achieve good by themselves and amongst and, and each other. Brilliant. Super. Alan, uh, thanks a million for your time. I appreciate it. I, I probably were, we're gone yeah. over time, so apologies for that. But um, for, for the people that are listening again, guys, and I, as I mentioned in the introduction, this, this was probably a, a two-pronged attack, Alan, that uh, I wanted to give something for the coaches, really, that they could you know, sink their teeth into at a time where we're not on the field with our players. And then also as a, as a fundraiser for Temple Street Children's Hospital. So... Um, for the people that are listening, if you have donated already, thank you very much. If not, there's a link in the in the podcast description below or on my Twitter page at Mike Quirk. Uh, and also thanks to the people who continue to share it around the place. Uh, it's been uh, much appreciated. And, and again, Alan, thank you a million for, for your time. I, I really appreciate it. No problem. My pleasure. No, see you.